Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hello. Hello, and Andrea Smith, technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. You know, I was thinking it's actually good that we all record remotely from different places right now. Right. Because I was literally thinking the same thing. We don't have to travel into New York City to the cesspool. Or do a mic that everyone else is using or, mm-hmm. you know, anything else. But um, we will keep this podcast going no matter what the restrictions, <laughs> even under quarantine, if it comes to that. Um, which brings me to the topic of today's show, coronavirus, um, the novel coronavirus. So the 19, whatever they're calling it. COVID-19. Um, COVID-19. Thank you. Um, we have a pediatrician. And blogger on, Dr. Nadine White will be joining us today. She is out of Atlanta. She's also blogs at The Sophisticated Life. Um, She has a really interesting dual life as a travel blogger and pediatrician. So she has a really great view of this virus and what's going on and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. So we're going to have a great discussion with her today. And then we will be back with our Bites of the Week. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Dr. Nadine White. We are back with Dr. Nadine White. She is a blogger by day, physician by night. She's a pediatrician based out of Atlanta and a blogger at The Sophisticated Life, which is a travel blog, which Dr. White makes you like the perfect person to talk about. (laughs) Right. Right. Two worlds collide. Yes. And who would have thought it? Who would have thought you'd have to be helping parents like navigate coronavirus and beat these fears and also people who are traveling or thought they were going to travel. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Figure out what's going on. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, no problem. I'm happy to get correct information out there. Yes, that is so, the goal. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, no, thanks for having me. Um, we thought we'd start, you know, I think people are just confused because they'll look on the back of the Clorox bottle and they're like, this says it already killed coronavirus. So coronavirus right. already existed. <laughs> Why is everyone freaking out? But right. this is different, right? Absolutely, yes. So I, that was one of the first things I, I told people when this first came about was, it's better to look at it like a family of viruses, kind of like influenza, how every year there's different strains, there's influenza A, influenza B, and among those, there's still different strains. So they always have letters or numbers or years associated with them. And so we've had coronavirus has been around, usually it causes a common cold in most people. Um, at my hospital, we actually have what we call a viral panel where we check babies and kids for common viruses. Um, one of the ones that people are familiar with is RSV. But among that, on that panel, we test for four coronaviruses. Um, so I think people don't realize that, and it's important to get that out, that it's been around, but this is a new strain of it. This strain in particular has never been seen in humans before. These viruses usually live in animals, actually, and then they find their way from animals into, you know, to humans, which was the same thing with SARS. People are familiar with SARS. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened with that. That was also a coronavirus. MERS, uh, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, that was also coronavirus. And so they usually find their way from animals to humans. So for this one, which was called before novel coronavirus um, 19 or now COVID-19, was named that because December 2019 was the first time it was discovered in um, Wuhan, China, in humans. So yeah, it's, it's, 
it's still similar to the other ones in terms of how you kill it. You know, you wash your hands with soap and water, disinfectant wipes. That is still all correct. But this particular virus is new in humans. And why is it then so um, frightening? Like, why are they seeing such a high death rate, particularly among right. elderly? You know, what is going on? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, these viruses are calling it actually like sars coronavirus 2, <laughs> because it's um, similar to what happened with the first SARS in terms of severe acute respiratory syndrome, which basically means the virus attacks your lungs and it causes like a um, extra, extra hyper immune reaction. Like your body is like actually trying to fight off the virus. But in doing that, it lets out all these um, chemicals and hormones that cause damage to the lungs, it causes fluid in the lungs. And so the main issue that people have is trouble breathing, they may have to get on the ventilator. And so that having breathing or what we call respiratory failure then leads to other failures in your body because your body's not getting enough oxygen. So this particular strain of coronavirus has been very contagious for the that's one of the main issues with it. Um, our bodies have no protection against it because it's new. There's no vaccine. There's no specific antiviral medication for this particular strain of the virus. They've been using some experimental ones. They've been using HIV, another virus. They've been using some anti-HIV medications. But I think the main thing that makes it kind of scary is that it's new and we don't have anything available to fight against it right now that's specific for this strain. Um, so that, that definitely makes it scary. Um, what's interesting, especially for kids, is that there has not been any deaths under the age of nine. I think there was like one death of like a 10-year-old, 10, 10 or 11-year-old. So it hasn't really affected kids greatly. Kids can get it. They have like cold symptoms. They may not have any symptoms and they can still spread it, but they have not really had a lot of serious um, complications from from being infected with it. And what they think is that because there are these other four coronaviruses that kids, or more than four, I, I'm saying four because we test for four, but there's other ones that kids may have been infected with that has given them some immunity to the current strain. So that's been the great thing for babies and kids. It's been very odd because usually any like virus, like say the flu, it affects babies and young kids and the elderly like almost anything bad. Those are the two subset of populations right. because their immune systems just aren't that strong. But with this, they have not seen that. And that's been a blessing. <laughs> I mean, definitely a blessing that it hasn't affected, you know, babies and small kids. You know, it's interesting because they are talking about how so many people are asymptomatic or may have had a mild cold. People may have, this may have been in our country for a couple months now. Yeah. And they just didn't, no, because people were kind of, it was mild. Um, is It's like a weird catch 22, right? Mm. Because it's, it, because it's mild, people maybe aren't taking it as seriously. Right. Um, yet it has this much higher mortality rate. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And we, we do think that it was here, um, prior to the first case, um, being diagnosed, but, there was no way to kind of know. I think a lot of times in the hospital, and I practice hospital medicine, you have somebody that has kind of what we call an unexplained respiratory failure, like somebody that comes in that's healthy and has no reason to have to be on a ventilator, you know. And I think some of the adult doctors maybe looking back on cases through January may think, oh, that patient probably had it. There's actually a distinctive um, look to when they CT scan the lungs. Um, there's actually a distinctive look to it. And that's how they were actually diagnosing some people in China 
Um, it wasn't just a positive swab of the nose or mouth. People who presented with the same symptoms and had the same picture on their CAT scans or chest X-ray, they were considering them positive as well. So I think if you do do a retrospective study or analysis, then you'll say, oh, this person probably had it. This person probably had it. But what now that we know and we know that it can like infect a whole group of people just attending one event. And again, the people that are more susceptible or high risk would be the elderly, actually like over 60, not necessarily just over 80. Um, and also that um, people who have respiratory problems like asthma, emphysema, cystic fibrosis, patients with have diabetes, high blood pressure, all, anything like that can make you at risk of having serious complications. And I try to express to people, yes, you may be young and healthy at 35, but do you not know anyone in your family or that you're around that's over 60 or has a medical issue? You know, so I mean, even things like lupus, patients can be on immunosuppressive drugs. And so those drugs can suppress your immune system and make you high risk for, you know, serious complications from this. So, you know, it's more about trying to kind of slow down the spread and contain the spread because, you know, so that the people who are most vulnerable won't get infected and have complications and, you know, hopefully not die from, you know, from this virus. So, And I think that's, that's such an important thing, right? Because, you know, kids and younger people, of course, think that they're invincible. <laughs> we know that. Exactly. And, <laughs> and they're healthy, right? So like, yes. why should they stay off the subway? Why shouldn't they go out to yes. eat? Why shouldn't they be, um, you know, where in crowds? And I think that's the issue right now is trying to explain to people that you may be healthy and you may be able to survive it, but mm -hmm. just simply passing it on to somebody unknowingly yes. could be deadly. Absolutely. And, and what we've seen in China and Italy, and especially for me as a healthcare worker, you know, a lot of doctors and healthcare workers have died from this. Right. And so when people try and compare it to the flu, I'm like, I see hundreds of flu patients every season, every winter season of my hospital. Nobody, no, none of the doctors are just dropping dead from being around flu patients, you know, because A, we have the flu vaccine, we have anti-flu medications. Um, but like health, completely healthy, a 29-year-old doctor died in China from it. And I just read yesterday, one of the head doctors in Italy, in Northern Italy died, who was like 50 something. So, I mean, this is how dangerous this virus is, is that it's not just the elderly or, you know, people with medical problems that have to be concerned. I mean, healthy people are also dying from this. And also people could die from other things that have nothing to do with this if the hospitals get overwhelmed, right? Absolutely. I think that's, that's one of the things that people just don't understand. Could you talk a little bit about flattening the curve, what that is, and, and how we can help? Yes, and I think we've seen that in Italy. And I actually am updating my blog post on coronavirus and including a picture of the flattening the curve today. So Yes. So basically, if, you know, people will say, well, it only 20% of people have serious complications or have to go to a hospital or need intensive care. Well, picture if 20% um, of, let's say, a million people in America or 2 million people all show up at hospitals at the same time. <laughs> and you have to figure out how to treat them, where to, how to get them a bed, if there's going to be enough doctors and nurses to take care of them. There's, what about ventilators? We don't have, we have less beds per um person, if you want to call it, in America than they even do in Italy. We have less ICU beds than they do in that area in northern Italy. So flattening the curve means instead of everybody that's going to get it, because we know people are going to get it, it's going to spread, right? I mean, we know that. 
but we're trying to prevent a large amount of people all getting it at the same time, which would push the cases up into like a high peak over the threshold of what the healthcare system can manage. And we're seeing that in Italy in terms of they just don't have enough uh, doctors or physical space. And they're kind of having to make a decision as to who will benefit from treatment, which is horrible. You know, um, so if you go in and you not necessarily age, but if you go in and you're 60, but you have all of these what we call comorbid conditions, other illness, chronic illnesses, where you may not even get better if they treat you, they may not, you know, they may give you what we call supportive care and just try to make you comfortable, but there's just not enough supplies, people, medications to treat everybody that shows up. And that's what we're trying to prevent in America. So if you flatten the curve, that means that, yes, people will get it and people will show up in emergency rooms and at their doctors, but it won't have such a dramatic high peak in the beginning. It'll be more like a flat curve where, you know, a smaller amount of percentage of people are getting infected and seeking treatment each day. And it will also leave space for people who come in with other things like heart attacks oh, and right. strokes and exactly. all those Exactly. We're forgetting. Yes, exactly. I mean, the good thing is, I will tell you, um, we're kind of coming down from the flu season. If this had happened in January, I mean, it, it would have been a complete disaster because we were full to capacity at our hospital, you know, because of the flu. Um, so thank God, I think at least even, you know, now hospitals and emergency rooms still are busy, but not like at the peak of flu season. Because you're right, obviously people come in all year round that are ill. And then we have peaks during the winter because of the flu in terms of patients that are hospitalized. So yeah, we don't want that to happen here in terms of healthcare workers having to triage and decide who gets care and who doesn't. And the, just overwhelming the system, like you said, in general. And what's the advice for people who maybe are sick, but you know, not with coronavirus symptoms or mm-hmm. um, like, for instance, when my son was just here visiting and he had a scratched cornea and I thought t- about taking him to urgent care and then mm. I thought better of it you know, just right. so as not to be exposed or people who have elective surgery. Should people really be staying away from hospitals and medical centers? Right. So the two people that kind of should stay away, if you are sick, even, you know, even if you think you may have gone to Italy on a layover and you get sick, if you are not in like what we would call detrimental or acute like respiratory failure, so you're sick and you feel bad, but you can stay home and drink lots of fluids, do Motrin, because for most viruses, I mean, that's what you do and you get better. So if you don't have uh, chronic illnesses and you are not feeling well, I think the best thing and the recommendation is for you to stay at home. What's great is a lot of doctor's offices even have telemedicine. Besides calling and getting advice from the nurse's line, a lot of them now have telemedicine options so you can you know, talk to a healthcare professional to kind of get instructions as to what to do. But if you start to have trouble breathing, you're short of breath, chest pain, anything like that, then yes, you will need to call and find out where you should go to get treatment. Uh, the other subset of people would be people who or elderly or like immunocompromised chronic medical problems, I think they should try and stay home more than say a healthy 25 year old uh, because going out to urgent cares or ERs if they're not really sick or going out to large gatherings will put them more at risk of getting the infection and they are the high risk group. So the recommendation kind of is like, if you don't, if you, if you don't feel like you're dying, stay home. <laughs> stay home and try and treat yourself at home. The thing that people have to think about too is um, even here, the school was closed because a teacher was positive for it. 
And like we said, even though kids may not seem really sick from it or get really sick from it, if they do have it, they can still spread it to other people. So let's say a lot of families where the grandparents live at home, um, they ha- you have to really be careful if like now you have your, the grandparents taking care of the kids that are home from school. So, you know, I think, again, any kind of isolation, if anybody gets sick, even if you're in the same house, um, if you do get sick, that is one of the reasons actually in recommendations when you wear a mask. So if you're healthy, you don't need the mask. A lot of people ask me that. But if you become sick, then it would be a good idea to wear a mask so that you're not spreading your germs to other people around you or that you live with. It's so interesting. I just heard actually that in China, one of the things they did that made it so effective to stop or really slow what's going on is they separated children from their families. <laughs> if uh, someone tested positive, they went yeah. to one of those the centers and they put the kids are all separated from the adults. And that actually right. really stopped the spread, which would never happen here. No, um, no. Oh, that sounds horrible. I actually had not heard that. What I had seen was that by the time that the hospitals became like at capacity, like people were being turned away. And yeah. so there's one Chinese director. I didn't um, read about any kids in his family, but he was a Chinese uh, director there living in Wuhan and he got, his father got sick first and then his mother, and then he got it. He tried to seek care and got turned away. So they basically just all stayed home um, and his father died. He died. Uh, his mother died. And then the last oh. time I read his wife was in like intensive care. Oh so um, in the beginning when they were telling people and you know, here it's kind of hopefully won't happen. But when they were telling people to all stay home, cause there was just no more room then people who did real, you know, realize they were infected and had nowhere to go. They spread it to families and like entire families died. Well, that um, was going to be so. my next question because uh, like here in New York city, there are a million kids in the school system. Mm, I, I mm-hmm. just don't see how they're going to shut it down. Um, but already friends of mine are taking their kids out of school and saying, okay, we're going to keep them home for at least two weeks. What, do you do? Like, what's the smart thing in this case? Right. And I have a friend who's concerned because her daughter has asthma. The first thing I tell people, you know, and we've seen here in America that teenagers have gotten it, but again, no serious complications. So if you're able to have your kids at home and that just makes you feel better in terms of, let's say you're afraid they'll get it and give it to you or somebody else that might be at high risk and you're able to do it, then I don't think it's a horrible thing. But I also don't have any issues with schools staying open if there's no cases, <laughs> because again, kids are at lower risk. Um, the only risk is them coming, you know, spreading it to somebody at home that might be at high risk. So, you know, I told her, I said, I think if there's an outbreak, like, let's say there's a couple cases in one school, I, then I do think it's an idea, a good idea. I don't know about the two weeks. There's no recommendation. The two week recommendation are for people that have actually. Um, traveled abroad to the places that are infected or that are being monitored. So if the school closes and reopens in a week, I I don't see why you wouldn't send your kids back if they're doing fine. You know, Um, again, if you're living with your 88 year old parent, that's really high risk, then I can see keeping your kids home just so they don't bring it home. So it's, it's definitely tricky. And I, and I feel bad for families because, you know, most people have to go to their job and work, you know, mm-hmm. places that haven't been shut down. So then who would take care of the kids? And that's where the fear of the um, grandparents or elderly taking care of them and them being put at risk from it. So it, it is tricky. It's a very difficult situation. But again, I think if the schools that have no cases of it and everyone's fine, then, you know, because it's such a low um, complication risk with kids, I don't really see an issue with them still going to like elementary school. As we know, colleges are shutting down. Right. 
I know. I mean, I had a friend who's a nurse who's like, if schools are closed, I can't go to work. Right. So if your healthcare right. workers need to take care of their kids because their kids aren't in school, that is right. a horrible ripple effect. It is a yes, absolutely. And when my um, my stepson goes to Duke and they're going to all online classes, and of course my husband's like, "Isn't this extreme? Why are they doing this?" Even though they're doing it all across the country. But as we know, there are certain places that I call that are like petri dishes. You know, a dorm would be one of them. <laughs> I mean, that's why we vaccinate even against meningitis because the, such close quarters where so many people are interacting, like on the cruise ship, what we saw in the nursing home in Washington, in these dormitories and parties that they have on campus. I mean, it's just those kind of places and areas um, just make it more like it's easier for the virus to spread among people, you know, in that um, environment. So there was, a, I read about a conference in Boston um, that was only one and a half days. You guys may have seen that. About like 50 people were, got infected. Right. It just is, seems like a very fast spreading It is. Virus. It's highly contagious, highly contagious. And most of the symptoms don't appear or people don't start getting symptoms usually until about five days in, which makes it scary because they can be spreading it before they even have symptoms. Um, and if you read about the cases all around the world, that's what happened. Somebody goes to Italy, they come back to America, they feel fine. And then three days later, they're sick. So they've already been at their job, they've been at their school, you know, they've been doing normal activities because they felt fine. And then five days in, they feel terrible. Um, and so that's also what's tough about it. So what are the most important things for people to do to try to, to prevent the spread and prevent getting sick or getting somebody yes. else sick? So absolutely the, the number one thing, and it's a shame that we have to stress this because it should be done all the time, is proper hygiene. Right. So... <laughs> I mean, you know, let's say you're just healthy and you feel fine. It's still important to practice proper hygiene so you're not spreading it to other people. So that's washing your hands with soap and water for 20 to 30 seconds. If soap and water isn't available, having um, hand sanitizers with at least 60, 65% alcohol. Most have more than that, but you, you want them to have a high percentage of alcohol. Wiping your hands down. Um, try not to touch your face, especially around your nose and your mouth. Um, if you are sick or even just like a little runny nose and cough, Use your elbow or better yet, use tissues and then dispose of the tissues in a closed container and then wash your hands or um, use sanitizer. So that is the number one way. And again, if you're sick or if you're taking care of someone who's sick, then they both of you should have on a mask so that you're not spreading those germs to other people. Um, so that's the number one thing. The next thing is we're at the stage what they call, um, you know, social distancing is what they're trying to push now, which is why all these major events like the NBA and South by Southwest, Co Coachella, why they've all been canceled is that, you know, if you don't have to be stuck among a large group of people, then you should not, you should try not to do that. Um, just because again, that's, it's easier if you're, I was picturing Coachella, I've never been, but you know, when you see the crowds and they're all standing room only shoved up together for hours, disaster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, kind of like being on the New York City subway. <laughs> yes. No, exactly. It's just, oh, I was in New York over Christmas and I'm like, I have great immunity and I wiped my hands down. I took the subways. But I mean, I was, I'm always very anal about that. I still got sick. I got mm -hmm. back home and I was sick. So, and the last thing is terms of traveling, you know, so people are having to make decisions. Um, and so I've been telling people, you know, again, you have to look at your risk category. So if you don't live with the elderly, no one in, that in your household has a chronic medical problem and you're going with young kids, then, I, you know, I'm not going to say absolutely not. I think, you know, we should try and cut down large groups and gatherings like that. But 
if you're in an area where you can get away from someone who's sick. So if you're in Disney and you're using lots of hand sanitizers, you're online and someone starts coughing and you can walk away, then that's still better than if you're in a group activity or group like a concert or, you know, where you're stuck together in the same space for long periods of time, like even a conference, then I think um, that also makes it a little bit different. But really just thinking about what CDC calls non-essential travel, like are, do you really have to go on this cruise? And I read today two of the cruise lines are shutting down for a few weeks. So do you really have to go to, you know, Paris for this event? So really think about um, trying to cut back on some of the things that will put you in a position where you could contract it. And again, either get it yourself and have complications or spread it to other people who can get infected and have worse complications. It kind of feels like if everything just shut down for two weeks, like if all the schools, all the conferences, mm-hmm. everyone just stayed home, like, right. you know, it, it would kind of slow the spread a Love little it. bit quicker. And every day we're seeing, you know, the, the museums are closing and concerts yes. are closing and, you know, but does that do any good if other things are still open? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, Yes, and you're right. The thing is like slowing the spread, not necessarily stopping it right now is the goal with all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I think every little bit helps because again, so in New York, and you're in New York, so I was reading about the the man who went to the synagogue and Mm -hmm. also like over 50 people became infected. So, you know, I think any little bit like that helps where you shut down things that people are normally going to be going to and be around each other in large groups. Um, I also recognize the difficulty for people who, and I think it's great if they get legislation through for paid sick leave because people who are hourly wage workers, people who don't have babysitters can't, you know, their kids don't go to daycare. Uh, For college students, I was reading about this one girl wrote on Facebook about she really has no place to live. She doesn't have any really a place to go to. Like being at college gives her a home, allows her to have regular meals. And so it it is definitely... um, a tough thing. But yes, if we can't shut down everything, like we can't shut down all flights to all countries, for instance. Uh, but I think if we limit some of the more common things that people tend to go to, then we can at least try and stop, you know, the spread of it um, so easily. Wow. Well, this was all really good information and very calm. And, you know, people have been telling me that and I really... I, I, I appreciate that because I'm not trying to um, be hysterical or cause panic. Um, I thought of something yesterday. I said, you know, don't panic, but do prepare. Right. Um, you know, don't buy 100,000 rolls of toilet paper, but make sure you have enough um, supplies in your home, medications especially, that if you do have to stay home for a week or two, that you would have enough supplies for that. And I really, every situation is kind of different in a sense. I want people to think about, the repercussions, for instance, even with travel, you may not get it. You may not be around anyone who gets it, but you may get quarantined or stuck in another country. So is that going to be worth your family vacation to you know, Disneyland Paris if you get stuck there? So people are going to be inconvenienced even if they don't get the infection. But I think for the greater good, um, then it's going to be worth it. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much. And good luck to you in the hospital. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. Stay healthy. (laughs) Absolutely. I've been extra, extra, I'm I'm OCD anyway, but I've been extra, extra cautious (laughs) for the past few weeks. That's the best thing you could hear from a doctor. That's all I know. Because 
I can't tell you how many doctors I've known in my life because my dad's actually like, don't wash their hands. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. No. They're like jaded. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. Good. Yeah. Stay no, we've been, we've, they've been definitely keeping up on it um, in terms of notices. And yeah, we, right. we're hopefully on top of it from that standpoint. So, but no, thanks for having me. I hope this is helpful to people and not too alarmist. <laughs> yes. Great. Well, thank you again. Oh, thank no you so problem. much. You're welcome. We will be right back with our bites of the week. We are back with our bites of the week. Amy, what do you have? So I have something coronavirus related, um, as I think we all do. Um, this was actually something that Rebecca sent around, and it was a really good article. I have two teens at home, and um, my son is in college, but uh, as with a lot of colleges now, he he was on spring break, which was supposed to be a week. And now they've given them an extra week of spring break, and then they're going to do online classes for two weeks after that. And then after that, we don't know. I'm guessing it's just going to be canceled, but so far they're holding out hope. But anyway, so two teens at home, and I've definitely never been through anything like this ever. Um, and this article is really helpful. It's in the New York Times, and it's titled Five Ways to Help Teens Manage Anxiety About the Coronavirus. And um, it's just some really good um, non-panicky advice. Yeah, it's interesting, the the anxiety that's going around, right? It's a really good article because as if our teens aren't anxious enough. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> anyone. it's funny because my daughter actually does tend to be anxious, this is not making her anxious yet. I don't Good. know why. Yeah, like she's she, anxious about lots of other stuff, but not this. Well, according to Dr. White, she probably doesn't have to worry about getting it. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> All right, Andrea, what do you have? Okay. Well, same thing. I mean, I have to say, I'm just trying so hard to stay off Facebook because the things that people are posting are ridiculous. And like obscure blogs and weird places that are just not like you don't even know if they're real and oh, my sister's husband's friend who works right. at yeah. Stanford I swear the Stanford email that could be like a Russian blogger you know making up stuff you know trying to just kill us all so I'm at this point being a journalist trying to stick to facts and science and that's where I go back to really news organizations that really vet their information and double check and triple check before sharing and share really useful information. I am a paid subscriber to the Washington Post and the New York Times, but the Washington Post has a fantastic virus newsletter and it's updated constantly. I mean, incredible stories, you know, just mapping the spread, um, you know, talking about hackers are seizing on coronavirus. So, you know, getting people to put in information about their location, trying to steal data. So um, if you go to the Washington Post and sign up for their virus newsletter, all the stories within the newsletter are free to access. So there's no charge for this, not behind a firewall. And I highly, highly recommend it. Hey, well, uh, yes, paywall. Thank you. <laughs> the New York Times also lifted their paywall for all virus-related um, information. Yeah, that's great. Because, I mean, good information is what you need right now. And then there's a great New York Times article as well, um, Nine Questions Parents May Have About Coronavirus, which ties in really nicely with the one that Amy was just talking about. But, you know, people want to know, um, if we're home, like, 
can we go to the playground? You no. Know, if we stay. Well, <laughs> no. that's that's why this article is really, really good, because questions that every parent is asking, right. you know, can we go on public transportation? You know, what about a newborn? That kind of thing. So. Um, just check them out. There's really good information there. Please, please, please just don't believe everything that you read on Facebook on this one. Right. I will say one of the best things I read was working from home means working from home. You are not supposed to go sit at Starbucks in a coffee shop because that defeats the purpose if everyone's oh sitting at God. the... <laughs> right? <laughs> Somebody actually wrote a post saying, okay, we're all working from home now. So what do you think? Can I go to Starbucks? Right. Oh Can God. I work from there? And everyone's do... like, no. No. Right. That's the point. That's the point. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, my bite this week is a Planet Money podcast um, episode, which is called Where's the Vaccine? It's episode 977. They've been around a lot longer than we have. Um, but it is a really good podcast diving into why it takes so long to bring a vaccine to market, how difficult the vaccine market is, like why the government has to step in to guarantee a lot of stuff, and how. Um, it's sort of the economics behind it, but how the government has stepped in to make sure that we have basically a million chickens <laughs> laying <laughs> eggs at any given time to to make the flu vaccine. Um, it was fascinating to me, especially because I, I'm going to admit this now, I don't get the flu vaccine because I have an egg allergy. Hmm. Um, and when I, the one year I got it, I got so sick. Um so I'm very reluctant to like weigh those two things. Like, should I get it and risk being super sick because of the egg thing? Or do I, I don't know. It's just always a balance for me. So I just always have to rely on herd immunity and that everyone around me is getting the damn flu shot. Um, but it's a really interesting, really incredible um, deep dive into what makes a vaccine. So I highly recommend it. And uh, that's it. That is my of the week and that is our show for today we hope you found everything informative and not very panicky and alarmist we tried um, and you can find everything we talked about today on parentingbites.com of course on facebook.com slash parenting bites leave us comments let us know what you think let us know what you're doing if your children aren't in school or if you are now telecommuting with your children at home with you, which seems like the worst possible combination. Um, wherever you are listening to us, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. We love to keep hearing from you and love to watch our podcast grow. Until next week, happy parenting. And wash your hands. <laughs> wash your hands. Oh, please. Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.